and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a weekly podcast bringing readers and writers of Australian fiction together. I'm Claudine Tanellis. As an avid reader and passionate advocate for Australian fiction, I make it my mission to spotlight local talent. So if you're looking for your next read or simply want to learn more about the Australian literary scene, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and relax. Last year, I had the honour of interviewing an award-winning novelist whose debut novel became an overnight sensation. As the winner of the Banjo Prize in 2020 with a novel that was then titled Flood Debris, Danuka McKenzie quickly became a household name when her book The Torrent was eventually published by HarperCollins at the beginning of 2022. Now in 2023, Danuka has followed up on the success of The Torrent with another brilliant book called Taken. In this novel, we pick up where the torrent left off and follow the trials and tribulations of Detective Kate Miles as she navigates her return to work after the birth of her second baby, only to be tasked with investigating a high-profile and emotionally difficult case involving the abduction of a baby. Hence and page-turning, this story had me invested from the get-go, riding alongside Kate on the emotional roller coaster that is her life as she tries to spread her time and attention across a myriad of competing demands. Absolutely riveting reading, and I'm more than a tad delighted to have the chance to speak with Danuka again today. Welcome back to the podcast, Danuka. Oh, thank you so much, Claudine, for that amazing introduction. Um, you've done my elevator pitch for me, so I don't need to anymore. I should just take you along to all my sessions. And this is exactly what Claudine said. Thank you. Danuka, your second book has now officially made its way out into the world. So I wanted to ask you, how are you feeling? And do you think you were more nervous this time around or is it much of a muchness? Oh, it's definitely not much of a muchness. I would say compared to the release of 2021, before that came out, the torrent came out, that nervousness went for ages. Only because I guess when I won the Banjo Prize, that was 2020. So that was September 2020. The book came out February 2022. So that was a long lead time, right? And so there was a lot of time for people to be incredibly excited and so lovely. But in my head, that expectation felt monumental, like, you know, that I would never be able to kind of achieve the expectations that the Banjo Prize had raised, you know. So I was incredibly nervous. You know, not only was it my debut, but it was also attached to that prize. And so I I really, um, not that anyone put that expectation on me, but I probably took that on. And so I really felt those nerves. It was all brand new, all of these interview things, everything was brand new. So yes, so I would say I was way more stressed for that than I am for this. Certainly, you know, I guess maybe the um, talking side of it is probably a bit less nerve wracking. What I will say was the same amount of nerves for this one as well was definitely the art process. So that's the advanced reader copy process. So they send an advanced copy out to kind of other authors and, you know, your hero kind of authors, people you have on your on your bookshelf to get, you know, early endorsements. And that process was just as stressful as I remember it being for the torrent. I essentially had like a month of complete anxiety brain where, you know, because you're still fixing up the book in the background while it's being read by other people, by your heroes. And so you feel even more exposed beyond just the fact that they're reading your book, you're, you're in your head or certainly in my head, in my anxiety head, they're reading like not the, you know, polished version. So it, it feels, yes, yeah, only for me, it felt really anxiety um, driving. And so that process 
definitely felt the same, but I'm probably far calmer in the pre-release than I was uh, for the torrent, definitely. Yeah, the arcs are an interesting thing, you know, and I heard you talking about this at your launch and I've spoken about this with other authors and writers and it's it's a bit of an anachronistic situation really where you're sending out advanced reader copies for people to get early endorsements and the like. But as you say, you're sending your work out into the world where it's not really in its most polished and final format. Obviously, the gist of the story is still the same and whatnot, but it just seems like such an unusual situation for wordsmiths who are obviously very keen to ensure that the most polished product is out there. It is. It definitely is. And I think that is something, you know, as a, as a new writer or I guess a new writer getting published, it's something you don't really think about that much. And it's really interesting because at each stage you think, oh yeah, that's a really good version, you know, and at the end of the copy ends, I was really happy with it. Like a month later, I come back to the proofs and I'm like, oh my God, what is this? What are these sentences? It's awful. And then by that point, I cannot like claw it back. It's it's already gone to those authors. Most probably for them, they won't probably even notice these things, but you you notice them. And I must admit, you, stu- you are still making tiny changes. For this one, for example, between the art copy and the final version, we actually ended up inserting a final section of the unnamed narrator. So I think in the art version, there's four of those. And I think in the final version, there's five of those unnamed narrator kind of little sections that appear in the book. So you are making those kind of changes. And okay, so with the editing process, this is the funny thing. When you get your kind of structural edits, it's like the big stuff, right? So it's the big, big picture stuff. And so when you're editing, you are focusing on the the editor's comments, like the problems that have been put to it. So, So you're looking at it in terms of that. Then when you do the copy edits, they have found a whole bunch of, you know, repetitions and you you find out the horrific writer ticks that you have. You're so, you know, you, you literally find out that you say suddenly 50,000 times or I was doing, Kate was apparently doing a lot of things with her stomach and belly and there's just like 50,000 references to her belly and I'm like, what is going on here? So then again, you are focusing on a on a problem that's been identified right so it's like you have to get rid of all the it's like it's like a process of weeding it's like you can't see the tiny 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 weeds until you've gotten rid of the all the bigger 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 it's right and so by the time you get to that, that proof edit stage to my brain it feels like oh my god that sentence is so obviously bad I should have picked that up but actually I couldn't see it at that point because I was so concentrating on the much 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 bigger weeds that were there or you know pruning all the other stuff that was there so it's like it's like this process of pruning 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 and then you finally see the final little weeds and the bits that weren't there that were hiding in the bottom because that that structural edit really feels like you're organizing the garden you know where the garden beds go where the this is a really terrible metaphor anyway you know what I'm trying to say good (laughs) I totally understand that's what that that process feels but in saying that I'm sending out to people who kind of know the process themselves. So they are forgiving in that way. It's definitely not something I have got used to. And my agent knows how stressed I get at that particular stage. I was going to say that exact same thing, but 
I guess on the plus side is that you are sending to people who are in the know, who are either in the industry or are aware that this is just one of those quirky things and that those things will eventually be picked up and fixed. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's all like the timeframe things because they're always kind of working backwards to work out, okay, well, we need to have, you know, this printer by this date in order to go out to um you know, get those endorsements in order to have those words, in order to get to the final print run, in order for it to be ready for the warehouse. It, it, like, it's all like they just work backwards and they go, okay, this is when your manuscript needs to be delivered type thing. Yeah. So it's always working backwards. And and that, there's movement in those dates a little bit, but that's how all that kind of comes about where you have to do those early copies. So, yeah. Fantastic. So, Janika, in preparation for this interview, I had to say that I marvelled at the incredible support and admiration that the Torrent received when it was published and also Taken is deservedly receiving similar terrific feedback. So what I wanted to ask you was when you were writing these novels, did you have a sense that you were doing something special, something unique? Look, no. I mean, (laughs) certainly when I was writing The Torrent, my God, I was just learning. I was such a baby writer. I was just you know, I was just learning the whole thing, you know, and I was just so kind of eager for feedback and for people to just like rip it apart and say, okay, tell me how to make it better because I recognised that I was just, it was uh, starting at the absolute bottom floor and just trying to work out how this stuff is put together. You know, in hindsight, you know, when publishers talk to you about things like that and go, okay, well, that version of a detective is not on the like not um, normally seen on the page. And so it's unique in that way. You know, that version of fatherhood who, you know, um, in the torrent, you know, Jeff is, you know, stay home dad, perfectly comfortable doing that, does not feel kind of um, resentful for having to do that, take on that role is probably a little bit, you know, a different space in the taking, but we can talk about that. But but essentially, you know, just showing those more positive versions of fatherhood and like a committed relationship who like that's not where the tension is, you know, the tension is all the other stuff. So I guess, you know, publishers and other people in the industry point that stuff out to you and then you go, okay, well, I'm just going to take that and put that in my spiel when I talk about my book. But at the time when you're doing it, you know, particularly when I was writing The Torrent, really I was processing my own stuff. And as I keep talking about, you know, I'm such a fan of crime fiction that it wasn't intentional, but when I started writing, that's the character that turned up. It was a detective, you know. Whilst I thought I was being incredibly clever and disguising all of my issues, turns out I was just totally just processing all my stuff through Kate. So Kate is a very thinly disguised version of all the issues that I think about. But then she was a detective and then what she allowed me to do was not only process all that stuff but escape from it, you know. So I was then in a completely made-up world you know, fighting crime, which is not something I do in my real life. And so I was able to completely escape from, you know, all the other stuff that's going on in your life. And 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 I think have your brain focus on like this completely arbitrary mystery that you're making up, it, it really is an escape. Well, for those who haven't read either of your books yet, they are connected, aren't they? They are connected. The Torrent, as you say, my debut, and it, it introduces the character of Detective Kate Miles, who is a police officer working in the Northern Rivers um, region of New South Wales, and and it essentially kind of introduces her, to her family and her and her police colleagues, and that that those are essentially the people we follow in the Torrent. Kate was very heavily pregnant, and we you know, that book covers the, the last week of her work before she went on maternity leave. 
and Taken then picks up her story, as you said, you know, after she's come back to work from maternity leave about four months after the events of the Torrent. They're both absolutely standalone mysteries. The Torrent covers a, a mystery involving a death in floodwaters. This book involves a mystery involving an infant who's been abducted, apparently abducted from her home. So completely standalone mysteries, but certainly the characters are the same and we are exploring kind of their overall arc. Because I guess for me, I am not a fan of theories, books, and 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 particularly TV series, I think, where, you know, you move on to the second season or whatever and the hero appears to be completely reborn. Like there's no effect on all the horrible things that they had to do or 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 they had to see, witness, or, you know, experience in previous season, they're completely reborn. And if there is a reference, it's a passing reference to what they had to do. But I felt like in this book I had to, to be honest to where she would be emotionally and that, you know, and she is absolutely dealing with the mental health fallout of some of the events that happen in the torrent and so she's suffering from some PTSD and she is in emotionally fragile state which makes everything which raises the tension you know and so it makes it just puts added pressure on everything else she has to do in the actual mystery so I was going to say she's at a difficult place emotionally mentally and physically when this book opens and she's got a lot going on and things only seem to get worse for her as the novel progresses but I can't help but feel frustrated on her behalf it feels like everyone around her is just waiting for her to screw up and they're ready to pounce. They undermine her confidence in her ability to do her job. If she does well and, say, gets injured, her family is critical. If she doesn't go the extra mile, then she's not doing enough by, you know, professional standards. I feel like she's damned if she does and damned if she doesn't. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Absolutely. I think with Kate, the central tension with her character is She's incredibly good at her job. She's a highly competent cop, but that is also the thing that puts her in danger and places her, you know, in opposition with her family in terms of the family's welfare and, and the, their welfare as a family. So that is the dichotomy and that's the kind of the, the, the central push and pull of her character arc always. Because, and she, as well as her family, as well as her husband, has to navigate that central problem. And if she was a you know, I guess in, in the equivalent position, if she was a man, she literally would not, like they wouldn't be having that conversation. You know, it would be like, that's the job, you just do it, right? And I guess that's why I get to kind of really dissect that issue a little bit more because we're talking about Kate you know, and motherhood and, and she really, really wants to do the best for, you know, on both sides, but she feels kind of stretched thin and she feels kind of pushed and pulled on both ends. And nobody's necessarily being, certainly from a family side, it's all coming from a place of love. It's all coming from a place of, you know, they want her safe. They care for her welfare. So I don't think it's coming from a bad place. But at the same time, a lot of identity is caught up in her being a great cop. And, and that is part of her identity. She's worked very hard for that, for that, for that job. She's very good at it. And so she's like, well, I, I don't see any reason for giving it up. But at the same time, I'm interrogating those ideas around can you do it all? And, you know, and I think we are sold the idea that we can do it all and actually we're, we're set up to fail because we can't do it all. You know, in her workplace, culturally, she is set up to fail in the sense that there aren't those systems set up around her office to make it you know, less of a thing for her to, you know, pump her breast milk and, and all that kind of stuff. Like it's not set up for that, you know. So so I guess it's pointing out that 
like there are system issues to make those things easier and make her work life easier, which aren't there, at least in her workplace. An individual can't do it all by themselves if there isn't a support system and structural system that is supporting them as well. Do you think it is different or are there different considerations for a woman doing this job? Or perhaps the question should be, should there be different considerations, especially when that woman has a family? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a issue for all workplaces. You know, I don't think the police force is necessarily any different, but I think particularly in kind of male, you know, historically male-dominated workforces, culturally they are slowly shifting about how to make it more family-friendly, more more female-friendly to account for all stages of a female's life, right? And what I was trying to kind of show with this book or like some of the things that I was thinking about with this book was I guess this idea around, you know, for, for a female you're like most of their life or, you know, majority of their life is taken up by these care roles and those care roles have a impact on their, you know, their employment, their ability to continue, like their, their earning capacity, and then they're super at the end of their working life. And then if at the end of their working life they're not in a partnership, then that means they're out there by themselves alone with, you know, no money essentially. Then that is reflected in our society because there's this huge kind of issue with female homelessness of, of you know, females in their 50s and, and upwards in, in Australia, you know, because of this exact issue of this structural, we haven't dealt with this structural issue. It's fine if the woman, if you're lucky enough to be in that committed relationship right to the end and, and you share your resources, that's great. But if that doesn't happen, so the idea that just because she's married now, she should give up this hard-won career, like why should she, you know? The man doesn't do that. Structurally, it's positioned such that there's a certain period of a woman's life where a whole bunch of women of certain generation kind of leave the workforce and who who was left gets the promotions and they get the, you know, and so then structurally it's really hard for those women to come back. It's reflected in, say, politics where, you know, women are, you know, doing those roles and, you know, the who have, you know, women breastfeeding in Parliament House or, you know, like all those kind of things we're not used to as a society, like we have to actually change our lens and go, why is this weird? why is this weird? It's a woman and she has a child, like big deal. You know, this is the stuff we do at home. I don't think the police force is necessarily any different. It just reflects the society that we're in. Now, Kate has so much to deal with on an ordinary day, but this novel really tests her mettle, I think. The case of a missing baby is so close to home for Kate and brings up a lot of issues that she's struggling with herself. So I want to ask you, Tanuka, why did you want to torture her this way? I know. I'm I'm awful. I'm so sorry. But, like, it really does reflect how awful I am because the minute I finished The Torrent and I started writing Taken, I just kind of knew exactly where her headspace will be. And so she was, you know, incredibly vulnerable in terms of, you know, how her baby comes into the world or the second bub comes into the world and some of the stuff that happened in The Torrent which have really rattled her. So, you know, what better case than to give her a case involving a little child because that's the thing that's going to push her the most. And purely from a writing sense, you you have this idea of get a character, what is their vulnerability, push that vulnerability as far as that goes. So, yes, so this absolutely reflects my horribleness. I just felt like with Kate I knew, yeah, 
I knew what was going to rattle her the most. And so it felt obvious to me that the, the next case will be a case of a child. Yes. Fair enough. Now, the mystery set up in the opening pages of this novel quickly gives way to a gripping police procedural. And I'm fairly certain I asked you this the last time we spoke, but was this always what you wanted to write or was it more organic? And how do you fact check Kate's actions while she's on the job? Yeah. Look, I think certainly this book is far more police and forensic detail and stuff like that. So I I must admit I, I worked really hard on this in terms of trying to make sure that the details were correct. In saying that, the majority of my process remained the same in that I, I tend to just write and, and I fact check as I go along. So literally from whatever that paragraph is, if I'm starting the paragraph with, you know, the, the sun was hot or whatever, like I'll be checking, okay, what is, you know, I'll be going, Mwilambaha weather in September. Right from that level of banal kind of research all the way to like the full-on forensic research that I had to do for this book as I go so I never kind of go okay well this book is about forensic stuff so I'll research I'll spend a month now researching that and then I'll start writing that's that's not my process so my process is I will just write and then literally whatever I write about at that point there's some random scene that I put like something was on the tv they were watching was about fishing licenses and I'm like you know is there fishing in the Tweet River? Like literally I am Googling that, you know, so it's just it's just whatever I'm writing, I'll just research that as I go. And then I'm very lucky because I have this group of police procedural advisors. So my main advisor is a police officer who worked for the New South Wales uh, Police Force and now he's retrained as a criminal barrister. And so he has that knowledge from both ends and his son is actually now in the police force as well. So, so he can kind of kind of check things even as he reads it. So he does a full kind of manuscript review for me at the end when I put a full draft down. But as I say, like I fact-checked as I go. So I think I'm a good enough researcher that I feel like I'm probably around 80% there-ish and then he'll pick up the final things. In this one, I was very lucky to get my sister-in-law works for New South Wales Health and she got me a contact with forensics and he again he used to work for New South Wales forensics and now he he's moved on but again he was brilliant I was able to like ask him questions and he pointed me in the right direction and the mobile stuff was through my brother who works in mobile development so I was asked like oh can we do this and he's like no you really cannot and I'm like are you sure he's like yes I'm sure so I had to change one plot point to do with that and um, one of the forensic scenes changed based on the forensic person's advice. But apart from that, it was fine. It really mattered in this one because the reveal or the or the twist hangs on a forensic point. Yes. That if I screwed that up, like that's the whole book gone. So I was really nervous that, you know, it was all based on my own research and then I sent it, okay, here are the questions, this is what the plot is based on, here are my links, you know, to the things I've researched, the papers I've researched. Is this correct? I, do you think this is plausible? Da, da, da. And he was like, yep, 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 yep. So that was good. So that was like, oh, phew. Now, what kind of feedback, and you may not have any, but I just wondered if you'd received any feedback about Kate as a character, say from someone in a similar situation or someone in the police service? Ooh, uh, police service, I haven't had any feedback yet, which may be a good thing. I think the vast majority of feedback I get from readers is how much they connect to Kate. Like they they really, I think for most people, it is really refreshing to see 
a version of themselves, I think, you know, like all the women that are very familiar to them, so their mothers, their sisters, their friends, their people from work, that is the version of a woman that, that Kate is in the sense that professionally competent and, and juggling a million hats, feeling the expectations of, of all sorts of things, you know, being a good daughter, being a good wife, being a good mother, being a good police officer. She takes on all of those and I think we all do trying to meet all our kind of masters in that way, you know, trying to try and meet the expectations of all those masters. And so I think that version, even though, you know, what she might be specifically doing, i.e. running after a criminal might not be familiar, the guilt she feels, the feeling of never quite hitting the mark either at home or at work, feeling stretched and feeling kind of stretched thin, that feeling and that exhaustion and that constant self-talk that is familiar to a lot of women. And I think that's what they respond to. So in that sense, I get a lot of feedback for Kate saying, you know, I really connected to her. She's a great character. Uh, but I haven't yet got any feedback from the police side. Maybe I don't want any because they'll be like, what is when does that? <laughs> I'd love to know if there's anyone out there who have the same kind of emotional experiences that Kate's having, you know, in both these. Yeah. Things. Well, what I will say is anecdotally what I've heard, I guess, speaking to my police contacts is that in the same way that, say, in the medical profession, it's very difficult for a senior, for a woman to, to carry on those senior roles, become a specialist, et cetera, without having that family support, right? Because it's, it's a lot of hours and you really, you know, you really have to put your whole heart and soul into it. And so a lot of female doctors who train medically end up becoming GPs, right? Because they can then manage their hours better and they can manage their families better. So in that same way, that's the kind of model I took for Kate because in Kate being determined to maintain her detective status and still have a family is probably, so there's probably a lot of police officers out there who choose to be beat cops and not beat cops, that's not the right word, but like uniform cops, you know, to stay and not maybe potentially take on those specialist roles. Or if they do, they take on the specialist roles in more back of office type stuff and not where they may be placed in danger kind of roles. And that those are decisions they have to make in terms of, again, keeping a job that they really like, but also making space for their family. And so I, I just wanted to look at a character who just really wanted to be instinctive, you know. And also I think I talked about this at an event I did, but this idea that we talk about work-life balance and how, you know, whatever job we're trying to do, you know, we have to be there for the family. But at the same time, you know, when something goes wrong, I want the doctor there who's like, for me, yeah. whatever hour of the day. When my baby's coming out, I want the obstetrician who's who's like, you know, not on holiday or not, oh, actually I've got I'm at my child's birthday. But actually that has a cost to their family, right? Yeah. And we expect this, we expect, we have this dual expectation all the time. So if I got into trouble, I would want Kate behind me, right? I would want these, these police officers who's completely dedicated, not who's looking at the watch and go, oh, look, it's four o'clock, I've got to go, see ya. It's this dual expectation we have of, no, we have to have this perfectly balanced family life, but also then we need these people when we need them. And so the the, the issue is, is that there's always a compromise. There is never this perfect situation where you can have this for everyone 
there is always a compromise. And I just wanted to show the reality of that. It's not necessarily condoning that behavior or anything like that, but it's just, it's just saying like, this is the reality. Most of us are just muddling through and half the time we get it right. Most of the time and we're just all muddling through. It doesn't mean we're bad people. Yeah. So well said. Okay, changing tack for a moment here. Uh, given your successes over the last few years, I wondered, Tanuka, if there was something you know now about yourself as a writer or about the industry that you wished you knew before you were published? Ooh, good question. What I would say is when I was trying to get published, that felt like the goal. Like that felt like once you once you got that, it all works out. Like it's just bam, it's done. But actually, when you get published, you realise that that is like this one little hill of this this mountain range. You suddenly see how far you got to go, right? Ultimately, I've fallen into this industry. I love it. For me, it'll be like this incredible thing for me to be able to look back and have an actual body of work behind me, right? And I realise now that it's actually, it's not a book. It's your whole body of work. It's the whole career and, and how you're going to manage that over the years. Torrent has got great feedback. Taken has got great feedback. But, you know, it's there's never going to be this exponential rise, okay? There's going to be a point where my third book sucks or it doesn't meet people's expectations or doesn't meet their expectations of, oh, well, this will be better than the next one and then this will be better than the next one. And then, you know, like that, that capitalistic rise, that's, yeah, not realistic, okay? And what I'm realising is, is that it's now the issue of now I have to manage a career or I have to manage like how am I going to feel when say the third one maybe doesn't hit the mark to readers right or I get negative reviews or whatever how am I going to manage that but does will that define me as a writer or do I use that to write another book and then and ultimately 20 years from now 30 years from now people can look back and go okay she wrote how many books and that is the body of work and that's the body of work that needs to stand and it cannot like it cannot just be this one book right mm-hmm. and that's what I didn't realize it's the like the okay it's you know this is just part, like this is this one tiny little part of what you're hoping that you can continue to do you know and continue to generate and, and can and continue to love because the whole point of it is that it needs to be interesting for you you know as well as a writer um it's not just a churning out of a product I think I am realizing that actually that was a first step I mean it was a hard first step don't don't get me wrong it was a steep first step like you still have to do a crap load of work to get to that first step so I'm not in any way downplaying all the work that people are doing to get that first book published but then if you are into it for like if you are trying to kind of continue to write and, and want to write you know for a long time that's then just becomes the first step in this huge mountain range, you know? yeah and you see all the things that you still have to climb so so do you have any advice for your unpublished self I would have advised my unpublished self to get myself a counsellor just to get that Get that mental health sorted so that my my self-worth is not based on whatever the hell people think about my book, you know, because they're two separate things and to have worked out earlier that all of this, it too will pass, even if I stuff up something or whatever, this is me with all the, the mistakes and the insecurities and the, and the imperfections and you either take it or leave it and, and accept me as not this perfect thing that 
will always say the right thing or, you know, like or whatever, right? Like, you know, because you, you take on all of that because like, you feel like every time you step up in front of a microphone, you have to get it perfectly right. You know, otherwise people will think things, you know, all that stuff, right? There's all those expectations that you add to the experience when really all you started off as was just really liking writing and you didn't realize that then you had to be good at like speaking about it and and getting up on stage and, and giving interviews and doing you know all this stuff which then people kind of use and you know and you see different versions of yourself in all sorts of media and you see various different photos of yourself as well and and all of that adds to if you're not ready for it and if you're not kind of if you can't step back from it it's it it can add to that mental load so still on my to-do list of getting a proper freaking psychologist too. I think you touch on a really important point here I have seen it myself you see writers who simply written a book and have had had it published and that is an incredible achievement in itself but then suddenly and much to their chagrin are pushed into the limelight and are expected to be able to talk publicly about their books when writers are so often introverts not all but many writers are introverts and are unprepared for that set of expectations which are being placed on them not that's not to say that they can't do it or it's not a reasonable expectation but I think just so often people are just not prepared just don't think that having a book published is going to lead to having to put themselves out there. It is often difficult to put yourself out there and have people thinking or judging or having that weight of expectation placed on your shoulders. Also that idea around goalpost changing, you know, because again, as I said, I, I feel like before you get published, that's that's the goal. That's all like, yeah, you know, and you think it's amazing. But then you get to that goal and then suddenly things like, oh, am I getting reviews? Am I getting the festival invites? Am I getting the long listings and the short listings? And am I getting the, you know, all of that suddenly because you're now part of this writing community and all of that is your social media feed, right? And and so, like, you would not be human if that stuff did not enter your brain. You can't help it, right? Like, yeah. that's just the way it is. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you or that you're a bad person. It's just because you're part of that community and you cannot help but absorb all this stuff. And I think it's worth remembering to think back to the the version of yourself five years ago, you know, who just wanted that book on the shelf and to kind of like, you know, high five that version, you know, of yourself, you know, past you go, you know what, we did the thing, screw the rest of the stuff, like we did the thing. Yeah. Job done, you know, goodbye. And if you wanted to end there, job done. Like you did it, full stop, move, move away. But if you if you want it to be this ongoing thing, like a, like a long-term um, venture, a long-term kind of career, you have to accept that that is now part of the world. Like with any profession, there are, there are stuff that is part of that world. And some of that stuff comes naturally. You know, a lot of that stuff you have to learn and get better with practice this is just part of that world. And I think, you know, some techniques, some genuine techniques of like calming yourself before you go on stage or, you know, like all of that stuff, you know, would be helpful. For what it's worth, I think you're doing a fabulous job. Oh, excellent. Okay, Danuka, so what's next? Will we see Kate in another novel? Uh, yes, Kate is, yes. In theory, Kate has been written into another novel. My agent and my publisher we laugh about this well I mean they laugh at me but you know because I'm totally in that 
second book syndrome at the moment because because Taken was essentially written, you know, before before the time came out. Actually, I submitted that in October 2021, and then the book came out in 2022, February 2022. So Taken was done. You know, like yes, I edited it, but essentially both those books were written before anyone had eyes on my writing and now people have eyes on my writing and it's like whoa that's in my head so yes so in theory I am writing three (laughs) fantastic (laughs) I'm very happy to hear that yeah anyway it's it's being written I don't like yeah that's what I mean about that whole thing of like god you know what if you don't hit the mark because yeah because now it really is feels like a bar has been set that you have to meet, but it's trying to find that space in the writing that you loved in the first place. I used to go into Kate's world to escape it all. You know, now when I go into Kate's world, sometimes that world seeps in and I'm just a bit like, oh, you know, so it's also managing that. Yes, so there's definitely a third Kate Miles. Janika, if listeners wanted to connect with you or learn more about you and your books, how can they do that? Yes, so I have a website, um, DanikaMcKenzie.com, and that has, you know, blurbs of, uh, of the two books and links where you can buy them and also events list. So that's probably has the consolidated events list where you can come and see me. And then I'm on Twitter, um, Instagram, and on Facebook. Probably probably I've, um, I used to be really active on Twitter. <laughs> like I, I, this, just the recent changes to Twitter have not been conducive to Yes, it's not as amazing as it used to be. Anyway, um, so I'm probably more on Instagram now, to be perfectly honest. Tanuka, I'm vicariously delighting in your success with both The Torrent and Taken. I wanted to say congratulations and thank you for joining me again on Talking Aussie Books today. Thank you so much, Claudine. Honestly, I love this podcast and thank you so much for having me back. It really means so much. Thank you. That's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please drop me a line via my webpage at claudinetanellis.com, via Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Alternatively, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Until next time, happy reading.